All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Shabbat Lounge. This is Matt today flying solo and just wanted to thank you for stopping by. Jake and I, mostly me, uh, I've been extremely busy and uh, Jake and I have not been able to collaborate uh, as much as we'd like and uh, we will get back into the swing of things once I get through my busy season and then uh, we'll be able to, um, to go back to normal. But as I was driving around, I had some thoughts and I kind of recorded them and I wanted to share with you uh, these thoughts. We've been studying in the Torah portion about the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle and, and what we had read about is being built from the inside out. This tabernacle is a reflection of, a, the, of our own physical heart. Just like us, the tabernacle is a movable structure covered with skin. And inside the Bible, inside the Torah, there's a lot of verbiage about the kidneys and the liver and all these detailed steps about what needs to happen to these vital organs. Details about how you're supposed to prepare the kidneys and liver for different sacrifices. Well, it turns out the kidneys and liver in the ancient world represented the seat of the mind, the heart, and the emotions of, of, of a human. In essence, what the Bible is telling us to do is that we need to hold our mind, heart, and our emotions under the fire to burn them clean and get rid of the impurity. Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, we know that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we know this. We must learn to put our heart on the altar, to put it on the fire, to have it burn clean, burn away the impure thoughts, the impure rebellious ways, burn it all off. Burn away the leaven of man's teachings. This is the work of what's supposed to be happening inside of our holy temple. It's what we represent. We are the fleshly covered tent of meeting where the holy of holy resides. So a side note about all this is an interesting thing that we see is this concept of inherited memories. And you can find this study. I know nothing about this person. I can't endorse this person. You know, there's all kinds of weird things I realize. Uh, but it's not hard in a few searches on the internet to find some things about human memory and a concept. And I found this article. Um, this one comes from Bo uh, Boston University. Someone wrote it. It is listed as an article or an opinion but talking about how the brain is not the only place to store memories. Well, the reason science got to this conclusion is because many transplant um, don't, people that receive the transplants would describe to their families memories that never occurred. And the families would begin to hear these crazy stories coming from the person, and they're like, what is going on? Uh, that never happened in our family. And then they started talking to the families of the donor, and they realized that uh, those were memories that that donor had. And uh, so pretty, some pretty crazy accounts and things, and you can read about that. But it's interesting, um, you know, that um, turns out that, the, that those concepts and the things that we're reading in the Torah, of course, it's you know, it's rooted in something real. But I will caution you when you go down this trail, you, you know, some of this stuff you, you're going to see from perspectives that aren't from a godly perspective. And I am no way endorsing or saying that these people that we're, I'm referring to are. I know nothing about them. But I do understand that that concept exists and that people have thought that.
So anyway, so let's go back to, uh, to, to what we're talking about. So we talked about how the heart is deceitful above all things. We must learn to burn away uh, the impure thoughts. And so we see in the gospel accounts that Yeshua washes the people's feet at Passover. And the Torah talks very specifically and tells you that he is trying to teach them how to be a humble servant and be God in the flesh. That's what the story, what it says. But there's another piece to this, and he is performing a priestly duty that we read about in Exodus. In Exodus, where Moses was commanded to wash Aaron and his feet, son, preparing them for their ministry as a priest. In Exodus 40, 31 through 33, it says, And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet, and they went into the tent of the congregation. And notice, congregation, it, it's there. And they came into the altar, and they washed is Yahuwah commanded Moses. So you've got this concept of this washing of the feet. And so um, and, and that, that it's that's there. And so, you know, this concept of where Yeshua washes his disciples' feet, it wasn't just about cleanliness. It wasn't just about that's just what they did. Yes, it, you know, it w definitely was what... Um, he was showing them how to take care of each other and how to how to be a servant. It, it, it just flat out says that, and so you can't argue with that. But there is a concept of that that he is preparing them for priestly duty. Um, so there's a lot of concepts. If you go look at even the laver, um, and it's this concept of being washed and being cleansed. Um, you know, um, in um, and even in John 13.10 and Ephesians 2.6, this concept of being sanctified and washed and cleaned. So definitely there. So the disciples definitely knew this story in ways maybe we don't. Um, he's preparing his disciples to be his holy priestly nation, to go out to do their priestly duty. He is preparing them to teach others about the principles learned in the Torah, the principles found in sacrifice. We must learn to deal with, with our own thoughts and emotions, learn to set them on fire and to burn away the impurities, to get rid of the leaven of man and get back to the commandments. Get back to knowing what it means to live a holy and set-apart lifestyle. They lived in a free republic, much like our own. And that free republic did not want to hear about it, how it was bad and wrong to indulge in the fleshly things they enjoyed. They liked their life. They liked what they did. It felt good. They did it. So they didn't really want to hear about the things they weren't supposed to do, things they weren't supposed to eat, things they weren't supposed to go. And so a lot of comparisons to the world we live in. You know, people don't want to be told uh, these things. So definitely a connection between Moses washing the feet and Yeshua washing the feet. Just go look up all the different passages where feet are washed, and it all—it starts all the way really with Abraham, and he washes the feet of the people that come to see him to tell him some news. So, so go look that up. But he wants us to be a holy priesthood, a holy set-apart nation. And so he, we, we must learn to teach our children that it's okay to be different from the rest of the world. In fact, uh, we want this. Uh, the world seems to be going out of its way 
to conform, um, to be like everyone else. And it is, it's almost like a frame, form of brainwashing where there's so much pressure on you to conform, to conform to the mask, to conform to, um, you know, to different medical procedures and things. You know, just there's a lot of pressure to do and be like the world around you and to not be weird. You know, you must obey kind of thing. Which is, which is definitely interesting. And, and so it, it makes me think of Daniel. We, we need to learn to, to be able to stand firm in the faith. And, and what we see in Daniel, so let me switch over here. Uh, what we see in Daniel is this. We see in Daniel that, um, you know, if you look up uh, some of the concepts, Daniel lived in a time after 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., the temple gets destroyed and burned. People get taken into captivity. Daniel and his, 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 the people around, the, the, uh, his boys, if you will, they, they were dragged along with him. And so, but the, there was a concept that existed way before this. And so at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8.3, Solomon says, this is the NIV, um, he says, uh, may the whole thing, let's see, I'll just, um, it says, when the people of Israel have defeated by an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple. So basically, in other words, um, you know, the first part of this, uh, you know, it's this concept of, he basically is forecasting that, um, you know, this concept of they are going to pray when they when they are removed and this temple is no longer here, and you know they'll you'll eventually turn back to them, which which is kind of interesting. You kind of need to study that out a little bit more. But in First Kings eight thirty five, he says, "When the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place." Jerusalem, the temple, and give praise to your name and turn away from their sin because you have not afflicted them. That's 1 Kings 8.35. And so, so that happens a, a couple of verses later. He, you know, he's, it's talking about this concept of what we are seeing in Daniel, where they are on their knees praying towards Jerusalem. There's some other scriptures here. Uh, Psalm 55.17 says, Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in distress. So there's this concept of when they prayed, uh, Acts 10.30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. So Cornelius prayed at three in the afternoon. Um, Acts 3.1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So there's this concept of Daniel praying at you know certain times. And these were the times... It is believed these are the times when the sacrifices happened in the temple. And since the temple was no longer having these sacrifices, it was holy and acceptable to pray, to not only pray, but to turn your face towards Jerusalem and pray. And so there was a prohibition, and Daniel was asked to, um, you know, to, to kneel before the statue, and you probably know the story and all this, and, and, and he wasn't supposed to pray, but he continues to pray no matter what. Um, and uh, he did not care. And um, so he, he continued that tradition of praying 
And um, so what does that have to do with anything? Well, this concept of praying and fasting. So Daniel also, you know, definitely there's a period of fasting and when you go through fasting, you're burning incense in the temple. You're burning the fat. You're burning the excess. You're burning the um, the stuff you don't need. And uh, you're laying it bare before the Father and burning away the impurities. Okay, well, that has a lot to do with uh, what we're talking about here. And so so Daniel, you know, he... he uh, was committed to uh, doing these daily sacrifices in his own temple, if you will, his own tabernacle. And he understood that concept. And And I hope and pray that we won't be deceived because the times definitely, times are changing, if you haven't noticed. But it's nothing new. This is just part of a cycle. And so many of you have been, I like you, like to watch the train wreck, and so we're all drawn to this craziness, and we're just like, I can't believe they're doing this. Did you hear this? Did you hear that this guy is doing this? Whatever. I mean, you can fill your mind with all kinds of stuff, and it could all be true. But in the end, we know this is all cyclical. The world goes through periods where there's freedom, and then there's oppression, and the Father saves the people from this oppression. So there's a remnant, and we're part of that remnant. But I pray that we're not deceived, that we can learn to be like Daniel and learn to teach our children to be like Daniel. And basically in Daniel um, 3, 16 through 20, Daniel basically says, you know what? And you can see the text there. He's about to be, you know, if this is a movie scene, you know, there's a fire in the background and you can hear it roaring. And there's people and there's people in custody. There's people in authority and clearly Daniel and his men are not in authority and they're about to die. And, uh, you know, it looks like all hope is lost. And uh, there's this moment where they're standing in front of the fire and Daniel speaks up and he says, you know what? I believe that, that my God can save me no matter what. And, and, and I'm also fine if he chooses not to save me. That doesn't mean he's not God. And those are such powerful words that we need to embrace and we need to understand that Daniel... Was a, was a you know did a lot of things right. He was a righteous young man, and a, a model to look at. And he was, and he did not think that he was so special that the father that he was guaranteed that no harm would happen to him. And his faith is unbelievable, really. The standing at that moment, and he's just so confident that you know what, it's okay, it's okay if he doesn't save me. I've got to stand. I've got to make this stand. And so I long for a day when our children can, and, and ourselves, when we can be strong and independent enough and confident in our Father that we can, we can be like Daniel. Because we may, we may face that. And if we don't face it, our children will. I long for the time when we have our true inheritance, a true inheritance that can't be destroyed. It can't be taken away. It cannot be taxed. This inheritance is waiting for us, and we need to help and in, in to get as many people uh, to that inheritance as possible. So I just wanted to kind of leave you with those thoughts. Um, go back and look at Exodus 30, look at Exodus 40, look at John 13 about the washing of the feet, and look at Daniel 3, and look at Daniel 6, 
and these other scriptures that we talked about. So when it comes to um, um, to all these things, I just encourage you to um, to look at how these passages apply to us being a tabernacle, to us being the temple, and how we need to um, burn off our own thoughts, hearts, and emotions, especially as we enter into this Passover season. Some of you have started Passover. Some of us are about to start Passover. And during the period of when we get rid of all the unleavened bread in our home and get rid of the leaven of man's teachings, use this time period to help burn away the impurities, to burn away the nonsense and the garbage that we fill our hearts with and learn to quit listening to all the garbage and conspiracy theories. And yes, the world is out to get us and mankind is evil. We know that. We don't have to fill our minds with things that we already know. Instead, we, need, we should be consumed with understanding the principles found in Torah. And as I study Torah, I just can't, it just, I can't tell you how many doors it opens and how many things it helps me connect the dots and, and how I can see so many of the things that we read and see and hear about in the New Testament and its roots and its origins, where and how it began. But once again, we don't claim to have all the answers here at Sabbath Lounge. We don't claim to be an expert or an authority or to be over anyone, none of those things. And uh, we just want to try to help point people to the Father. And we appreciate you stopping by. We appreciate you listening. Your time is very valuable. It's your, you know, just look at social media and the free things that they give us. That tells you that your time is worth billions of dollars. So, so time is, is extremely valuable. We, we do appreciate that you give this a like, a comment, subscribe, share. Please hit the like button, thumbs up, something do something, please. And uh, we want uh, to help get the word out, not because we think this is so amazing and so special, but we do feel like um, there's a remnant. The remnant is growing. Lots of people are seeking, and we just want to join you on that journey. And, um, and may the Father continue to bless you as you walk out and do His commandments. Thanks for listening to Sabbath Lounge.